Hello and welcome to the third recording of the JB Squad podcast. I am Julian J. Bear with Vinny the Nooch. Snoochie Poochie. And we are here to talk sports. Like we always do. Hopefully, we might get sidetracked and we might talk about something else. Well, that's that seems like the name of the game with podcasts. But first things first, before we get into any um, sports-related matter, I think a good thing to do since we are recording on Sunday, June 20th, is to talk about Juneteenth, which happened actually yesterday, obviously, Saturday, June 19th. And I think it's good to just acknowledge the fact that it is officially a federal holiday. Yeah, for the first time in our nation's history, we're actually able to celebrate the accomplishments of our African-American brethren. Yes, and I, I think it's a big step considering everything that's been happening in the past couple of years with the conflicts. Not to get too deep into that, obviously. Uh, this is not what this show is about. But I am very grateful that we are getting... I, I feel like this becoming a national holiday, we're, we're kind of bringing this to the forefront and, and acknowledging that this is something that needs to be discussed. I think it's a good way to open a dialogue especially yes. with this coming up yes you know um our nation unfortunately does have a dark history and it, it's about time that in order to move past it we need to be able to talk about it so we our future generations can be able to learn from past generations mistakes and i think that um obviously the main rule about history who forget history are doomed to repeat it so for the for the layman who not that they need it to be mansplained to them necessarily but so Juneteenth was um, June 19th and 1865 was the day when in Texas, in Galveston, Texas, this was the day that Union soldiers basically came down and, and told the last enslaved people that they were free. The Emancipation Proclamation had been signed and they were now free. So it's a great holiday to acknowledge it, it not to get into anything too deep, but I feel like this is something that I feel like should have been acknowledged very much sooner in a way. But better late than never at this point yes um i i mean i do agree that you know this this should have been a federal holiday sooner and like you said it's better that it's late than never and um as long as we can teach younger generations about the history of our country both the bad and the good we can move forward together absolutely and I think that this is not the greatest segue in all of podcasts. You're not the best segue. That is true. I, I, I've been listening back and every time I'm like, and with that, yeah, yeah, dot, yeah. dot, dot. That, that's how you know we're talking about something else, folks. You know, he goes, and with that. Not to, Let's not put to, that on a t-shirt. Absolutely. And with that, dot, dot, dot. Yes. But moving forward, I think. We should talk about some of the achievements that African-American athletes have had on the world of sports since you know we since we're talking about june 19th yes and it's a very important holiday for not only our country but especially our african-american uh brothers absolutely and and i think one of the biggest things that i've realized is that when i was watching um premier league games this year a lot of people instead of their last names on their on the back of their jerseys they had black lives matter and it was really i think it was a very empowering message to be sent that it's not just an american problem it is a worldwide problem yes racism does exist and i think that it's it's a good way not saying that we need to use this 
holiday as a dialogue, but I think that making this a federal holiday, I think, was the right step in bringing this kind of to the forefront and being like, racism exists, what can we do about it? I think that one of the moments that really stands out to me as far as African Americans and sports, obviously, JV Squad, we're, we're talking about sports here, folks. Um, one of the biggest moments to me was when we're talking about the Olympics back in the 1930s. We're talking about specifically Jesse Owens. And I yeah. remember I remember watching a documentary when they were talking about Olympics happening in Germany and like everything that happened with Hitler and not wanting yeah. black athletes to actually it, um, I mean, participate. It, it wasn't just black athletes. It was any athletes that weren't described way that regime saw people. Yes, like they I, had yeah. like you had to be, you know, white skinned, blonde haired, blue eyed, and that's how they perceived people and they that's who they wanted to participate. And a lot of people have talked about how that Olympics was just if you look at I, I remember seeing a documentary and they talked about how that Olympics was given to you know, Germany. Yeah. And how there was a whole crisis beforehand that so many countries threatened to pull out but eventually didn't because of those Olympics being held in Nazi Germany. And there was even, they talked to a, um, she was a Jewish, I forgot what sport she did. I think it was like the long jump. I was going to say like jump. pole vaulting, something along those lines. So, but yeah, yeah it was a track, track and field, field basically, yes. And she did, she was one of the best people. Like, I think she had won her Olympic trial, but she wasn't allowed to participate in the games just because she was Jewish. That's how that whole administration was. So for an American, African-American, I should say, uh, Jesse Owens, that for him to just show up and just dominate those Olympics and that iconic scene of him receiving that gold medal are surrounded by a propaganda machine. That whole country was, at the time, was just in a very, very, very bad shape. And Absolutely. To see, you know, Jesse Owens do what he did. It's a very uplifting message, and it's a very inspiring story, but it's probably even more inspiring for an African-American person learning about that story, even though it was, a, you know, um, so many years ago. I mean, um, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely think about all that, you know, thinking about the Olympics and that time. I could only imagine the atmosphere that was surrounding Jesse Owens and any, basically, any athlete who did not fit under Nazi Germany's standard of a human being. Not to, not to, um kind of go down this rabbit hole but i think that basically anyone who is surrounded in that kind of that propaganda and you know yeah especially we're talking juneteenth well i mean one of the uh the stories i want to talk about is uh i'm probably the one of the most well-known stories of american sports is jackie robinson he was a just not only he was the first african-american ball player you know, major league baseball player in the modern era. He was so good and so entertaining to watch. And, you know, it back then, they had two leagues. They had a white league and a black league. You had you, you had the major league baseball and then you had the Negro leagues. And many people have said, which I, I actually agree with, if it wasn't for the Negro leagues, like if there was one league, a lot of these earlier, like, you know, these superstars of the 1910s and the 1920s and even into the 30s, you know, these white baseball players, they wouldn't be as, like, Babe Ruth may not be as recognized as highly as he is today because of he was only playing against other white people. 
You know, and you look at yeah. baseball today because of... The diversity in general. Yeah, the diversity with... because it all started with Walter O'Malley and Jackie Robinson. Like, Jackie Robinson was brave enough to be the first African-American Major League Baseball player. And Walter O'Malley was the first owner to say, you know what, these African-American players do deserve a chance. Yeah. And then when Jackie came over, then you see guys coming over like Satchel Paige and Elston Howard. and Hank It's actually Howard. amazing when you look at it. It's like they're just, it's almost, it has the feeling of they're just waiting for the one per, one that one yeah. person to break through. And then there everyone's was, like, yeah. oh, we can actually do this. There now. was such a great influx of African-American talent. Yeah. When Satchel Paige came over... He was old, yeah. like old for a baseball player. Well, back in the days, I mean, a lot of there were a lot of people with the. I'm not even just saying like as far as injury history, but you, I, I think about back to like the 1960s and 70s when football players would get injured. It's almost archaic when you look at the types of surgeries or the things to help them heal from something. They would never have the career like someone like a Tom Brady would have, where well, they're playing well that. into their mid forties at this point. Um, like, well, it wasn't even. Well, I'm, of that. I'm saying like as far as playing, like as playing old, like In playing terms into of your Satchel older Page, age. He, it wasn't that um, he played for I think another like five to ten years after he first crossed over. Mm-hmm. It's just that. Because of that color barrier, he wasn't able to sh- have his prime years in Major League Baseball. Yeah. He is considered one of, if not the greatest pitchers of any race of all time. Yeah, definitely. And I, I feel like it's almost, you look at it and you're like, you, you almost wonder how much, you know, how much potential did we miss by not yeah. having more uh, integration earlier into sports that, in, in general? Yeah, yeah, that goes for all sports, you know. Like, where would we be right now if, if this wasn't an issue? Yeah. Like, how much better would, how much richer would the history be of any sport that, yeah. that we look at now? And then, like, especially with going back to baseball, when Jackie Robinson comes over, there's such an influx of African American talent. And then you look at Roberto Clemente, who was the first, like, real big name Hispanic superstar. Then there was a such a huge influx of uh, Hispanic players that even comes down to today. There's such a big uh, Hispanic place, Hispanic player base is i guess the words i'm trying to say that today it, i would say that they're the most in out of broken down by race the most there are mostly uh there are a lot hispanic, of hispanic baseball of, players yeah. but, and they're from all over the country because of the showing of roberto clemente who is still even today considered one of the greatest players to ever play he's probably the greatest player in the history of, the, of pittsburgh pirates you know, and I, I think about, like, these people who broke the color barrier and these first people who were introduced. The amount of influence that they had, the amount of publicity that they got from doing this. Yeah. You can only imagine how these kids growing up that watched them were like, I want to be the next Jackie Robinson. Yeah. I want to be the next Robert Clemente. I want to be the next Jesse Owens. I want to be I want to be the next insert name here. And it's, all, it's, it's unfathomable to think how much influence that they had on yeah. the next generation who wanted to get into sports and who at first didn't think they could because of yes. everything and like i think that's the biggest impact that these men have had yep. and women you know even with some of the women today like uh, the women of the wnba right? oh yeah I, I watched earlier today they they had a, a piece on espn about this was the 25th anniversary of the wnba the yeah. first game and that was i remember watching it and i was like i didn't even realize it was 25 years ago at this point no yeah because that lead that whole lead has always felt like it's been only around for like a couple of years it really ha- yeah it, it, for some for for one reason or another, it just doesn't feel like it had the stain power of an NBA. But again, 
Well, I mean... It tried to fill a niche that I feel like a lot of people didn't really care to fill. I mean, as I'm 26 going on 27 this summer, I didn't realize the WNBA was... I actually thought, honestly, if if you asked me before I watched that piece today, I would think the WNBA existed before the 80s. I, I'm thinking like into the like yeah. 80s is when it originated, but it's new for a sports league, but I, I just didn't realize it. And it was, you know, thinking about that, I think the reason why it feels like that is plus drawing similar to some of our discussion last week with the MLS. The league has, both of those leagues have changed so much over their course of existence that they really, they really kind of feel like a whole new league. Yeah, and it, it I remember watching the documentary, there was like, there was an outpour of support, there were a lot of celebrities, there were M- uh, NBA players that showed up to support this league. Yes. And it's it's very uplifting to see that kind yeah. of thing. And I think that that was one of the things that we saw in the WNBA. And I think it didn't come along like that, obviously, back in the days when Jackie Robinson and everyone. Oh, when yeah. We it, you did not see that kind of support for anything new, anything unfamiliar, anything that people really were not, yeah. th- that they didn't believe in, the movie... for lack of a better term. If you ever watched the movie 42 with the late Chadwick Boseman, he played Jackie Robinson. Yeah. That movie was so good. And it, like, it really shined. Like, it wasn't... They had to, like, maybe throw, like, a little Hollywood spin on it, but it felt like legitimately showed the struggles that he had to go through. He yeah. was receiving daily, both him and the Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, death Dodgers, threats all the time. Daily yeah. death threats. There was a, I remember one scene, it was, a, it was a father and his son. And the father, I think it was, the, like, in a game in, like, Pittsburgh or something. And and the father, or it might have been um, when he was playing uh, minor leagues. Yeah. But it was it was a game. You know, they were. Uh, it was a scene. They were playing a game, and the, it was a father and a son in the stands. The kid was having a good time, and then the father sees Jackie on the field, and he starts screaming racial obscenities towards Jackie. The kid kind of had a dumb, lo- like dumbfounded look on his face, and Jackie's looking at them as he's doing it, and he's looking at the kid, and the kid starts. I th- if I remember right, the scene, the kid might have said a couple of, not as bad as the father, but he started to, you know, say hurtful racial things. Well, yeah, and that's the thing, and I think and the biggest thing about, shows, oh, sorry, go on. No, oh, no, it's all right. Um, I was just going to finish up with, like, that shows you a lot of the struggles that Jackie had to deal with. Yeah, and I think that a big part of the reason why this divide was so prevalent for so long is because you had these parents who believed one way, and kids look to their parents. Yeah. And ironically, it being Father's Day today, it kind of works out that way, that it kind of fits in. You look up to your parents, you look up to your mom, you look up to your dad, and you you get lessons from them, and you want to instill the wisdom that they're giving you. And unfortunately, back in those days, um, the wisdom was that they were not equal, equal to, you know, not to... Again, not to get too deep into the... Like, this is a sports podcast. This yeah. isn't a history podcast. But, I mean, we just... But, it, but you think about, like, how impressionable kids yeah. are. And you, you think, like, I mean, they even... see they see a, they see see an adult doing something, they're going to yeah. follow that. Even if you look at a guy that I think deserves a lot more credit, even though I believe he was the last of the four major sports, you know, to break the color barrier, one of the guys that I always, like, love hearing his story is Willie O'Ree. Oh, okay. He was, yeah. for those that don't know, Willie was the Jackie Robinson of the NHL. Although Willie wasn't as successful in his career as Jackie was, Willie was still a groundbreaker, and he played for, I believe it was like something along the lines of four or five seasons. 
And what makes his impact big is that long after his playing career was over, he was still trying, you know, to get more African, or I should say more black kids to play hockey in the inner cities. And the reason why I say black is because he he wasn't just here in America doing it, he was doing it in Canada as well. Yeah. A lot of the times today, like, you'll see a lot of black Canadians performing. No, and um, Dustin Byfield, the number two overall pick. I thought it was by Quentin Byfield. Quentin Byfield. That's yeah, right. you got it mixed up. He was actually this past year, not the year, the year before yeah, that. He in was the, the draft, highest. He was the highest drafted black player, and it's just yeah. it's those kind of stories, it's those narratives that really yeah. kind of go into what makes sports so transcendent. Yeah, and, and I think one of the big things. Sorry, not to. No, cut no, you it's off, all right. And I, I mean the the most relatable. I'm such a big football fan i think about as a sealers fan i think about a rule that is named after the owner of the sealers the rooney rule which is a requirement that all nfl head coaching vacancies i believe it's head co- yes ho- head coaching vacancies um you have to at least interview one candidate that is yeah yeah and you know i think especially for football for the time being does definitely now need that rule because yeah. today football behind basketball is such you know a big sport in our african-american youth today absolutely I have a question for you. Okay. Not a great segue. Figured I'd You're, try it out. Listen, this is episode number three. You're going to get better at the segues. Absolutely. So, about that about that Islanders game last night. Oh, my God. Pollock with the save of the generation. Like, I remember... The save was, of the Islanders. <laughs> somebody called it the save of the... Uh, it was the save of the game, the save of the uh, series, save of the year. Yeah. It was... First off, I know, like, we're going to talk about the save from Pollock, but... But I just want to talk about the effort of Ryan McDonough. At that end of the game, he was able to. He was draw, able to spin around and yeah, do, draw out oh Samson off. Had Pollock not been there, that's a goal, and we're going to overtime. Yeah, and that was, and uh, you know they show the replay off. He had God. like when the puck hit. It Pollock, was such a nice play when I saw it when I watched it. Yeah. and they replay. I watched the it live. Yeah, I um they showed you know when they showed the replay, he had about one point six seconds when the puck hit. So that would have been a clean goal. Oh yeah, that it, there was no. I saw that puck going on the replay because I think in real time a lot of you can't really appreciate yeah exactly how how little time you have in that because yeah. in real time that's that goes by in in a, an instant. Yeah. When I when I saw it, the replay, when you slow things down, I feel like especially something like this when you when you slow down a play like this, you get to really appreciate more of the the skill and the just the inquisitive nature that he had to make that play and to even have a chance to tie that game up and send it to him. My my jaw usually never drops. Yeah. My jaw was wide open. I just it, I saw this and I was just like yeah. it, it almost gave me not the it was like the euphoria in my head and I didn't say this out loud but I really wanted there was a point where I wanted to say this out loud. I was like the Islanders are going to win the cup. There is legitimately like when they play when the Islanders play like that there is no reason on my mind why they can't win the They're cup. such a well-rounded... I feel like they have, out of the four teams that are still in the playoffs, I feel like they have the most well-rounded team. Their problem is uh, consistency. Yes. Because with the Islanders, you, you've seen it in game two and three. Yep. Or, or game three and four. You get, like, game four, you get an Islander team that was fast. You know, they were aggressive. They were a very, uh, a very good defensive team up until, like, the first half of the third period. Yeah. You know, they were up 3 nothing going into that They third. were, and it was crazy. I mean, 
the the lightning are no they're not a slouch no Let, they're let's not, not a slouch. discredit yeah. the lightning and what they to were able do, to do to battle back if the islanders yeah and that's the thing like the the lightning started to battle back so you know there was slips in the crack so the islanders they have to be consistent because if they can be consistent and play like how they did in game four and there's no five, reason they shouldn't they, yeah there's no reason why they shouldn't you know we're wrong for those you know that are listening to this now we were wrong about the montreal series I would like to say as as a as a quantifiable as a as a statement in general. Oh, we're going to be wrong a lot. As a statement, I would just like to say we are the JV squad. We know what we are and we know that we're not going to make the most precise calls. Oh yeah, we're going to be wrong a lot. Like it's not like no one if anybody takes us as experts, please don't. We're just <laughs> just, just don't just yeah. don't listen to anything we have to say. No, I'm kidding. Listen to what we have to say, but yell at Scream at us when we're wrong. Absolutely. I mean, it gets our engagement numbers up on those social medias. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, we're, you know, that one streamer from Belgium. I don't know how we're yeah. looking right now. I don't know if we've uh, got a lot of... <laughs> I, I checked. You know, we're at about 30 views right now. So, thank you to the 30 of you. That is right there. That can be a, a small, very... Like a small little um, indie gig for, for wrestling. So, I think that one thing that we're going to try to do, and we'll, we'll mention this at the end, we're going to try to release the second episode, obviously. Not going to fit into this time frame, but we're going to try to release episodes on Fridays at about yeah. noon. Noon, I think we're aiming uh, for. We're, we're gonna aim on Fridays, definitely. Time frame. We're we're gonna we're gonna no, Siri Siri no. Siri never gets it. <laughs> See, you know what? That that would be a live chat. Yeah, we're gonna shoot. We're going to shoot for Fridays. The time frame is going to be, you know, very... We're, we're going to see what works for everybody. Let's try to aim for a specific time. Not Where we are going to aim for a specific time, but we just, you know, want your your feedback on what should be a good time. We also... Well, well, like five. Yeah, well, sometimes you want to you wanna impress your audience. See, I know how to be a good person at everything. That's why I was asked to be on this podcast. Yes, yes, that's the reason. But but, um, but in all seriousness, um, we're we're gonna by the time this episode two and three go up, we'll, we'll have decided a pretty much a good time yeah. schedule. Sometime on Friday. We also want to do um maybe some some special episodes. You know, like maybe we'll we'll post an episode during a certain time of the week, and you know it'll be a special episode. Like we'll watch along with the NHL draft. We'll watch along live with the NBA draft. Now these episodes won't be live until we get sponsors or move out of our parents' basements or corporate daddies let us out yes. to play. So we might do some special episodes here and then, you know, maybe you'll watch along with a draft. Maybe we watch the Super Bowl. Maybe I get you into motorsports, watch the they Daytona 500. Not um, me. I, I figure driving fast and making a turn to the left is not my thing. But Well, maybe then we'll we'll get you to watch a road course race and you know they could turn right. Oh well you you sold me. We got we got yeah. some variable. Oh they turn here. right? Oh I'm they in. They turn right now? No, I'm But um so you know, getting back to the islanders. Consistency is key. I butcher the English language on that, but um, but yeah, they need to be consistent because, like I like I was saying earlier, they are. It's like a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, or is it Doctor Mister Hyde? I'm gonna. I think we need to start a hashtag send nooch to English class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashtag send nooch to English class. Um, it's a it's a Jekyll and Hyde. Just. You know, I thought it was Doctor Jekyll. Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yes. So I was right. You were right. Yes. But you second guessed yourself, so you're wrong. 
It's yeah, like Jeopardy rules. You, yeah. you can't say you got it. You got to just say it. Got to go with the first one. Yep. They are when you play teams like the Lightning and potentially either now the Canadians or the uh, the Golden Knights, <laughs> which will we will get. To yeah, we will get that. To. That is a lot juicier of a. Story, and we're also so. going to talk about that other playoffs. You know the uh, the basketball playoffs. We'll talk about that as well. And you know the big upset last night. I, Depend potentially what you call. Well, it depends how you look at it, but yes, because we are shooting, uh, we are filming this di- episode on Father's day, day. On Father's Day, the day after the Nets. Oh, by the way, to anyone who's listening to us, Happy Father's Day! I know we didn't yes. really plug that in the beginning, and especially our corporate daddies that have not come to us yet. Please have a wonderful Father's Day, and we are waiting for you. There's nothing like hanging out in the backyard eating some burgers and hot dogs with your dad. So, yep, especially when they're corporate and they pay you money to do a podcast specifically how they want. I think we're talking about different dads, but with that, <laughs> and to go back to the original segue, we go from one amazing save to one utterly head scratching play by, by a, a somebody that you never in a million years would think they would make this type of play. Mark Andre Fleury, the math, <laughs> yeah, that I like, I don't even have the words. I, I watched it several times, and I, I honestly, it kind of felt like it was, I think it was Tristan Jari, it was the Penguins, in the series against the Islanders, actually. He, it was, it was overtime, yeah. and he just, he just hit the puck right to the Islanders, and yeah. they scored in overtime and won that game. And not, it wasn't that big of a blunder. It was definitely a big blunder. But I don't know what he was trying to do behind the net when he was trying to play the puck. It, it just seemed like it seemed like Flurry had a moment where he he just he didn't know do, what to do. Do you know how much every time when I see one of these goalies try this and fail, I love Martin Brodeur even more. Yeah. Because you would never see that type of play. There was only one time that I could think of where he had a gaff like that. And, oh, okay, maybe two, but one, he was able to uh, save himself. The one that where he let up a horrible goal was, um, it was a 2003 Stanley Cup final, Devils at Ducks, game six, or it might have been game four. It, it was in Anaheim. That was the, and he just, the puck was just coming in. I think it was off a dump or a clear on a power play. And he's, like, I guess tried to throw his stick, you know, reach his stick out there to get the puck, and I guess he lost control of it, hit his stick, went through his five hole and in. And, like, that was one of the biggest blunders. That was probably one of the very few blunders from Martin Brodeur. The other time I could think of is, ironically enough, I believe against the Penguin. And this was at Prudential Center, and the puck went towards the boards, or he was expecting it to go towards the boards, and oh no 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 i remember what happened his he lost the stick and it got hit towards the boards so he went to go get his stick and he slipped and fell Mm. and the puck somebody had i think the puck was coming in off of a dump and he missed it or he might have like just scraped it and it hit off of both posts Mm. and it went away and like you know that's those two of the big you know biggest gaps from martin perdor but the point I was trying to make is that I was happy that we had more, I or at least that you know the Devils had more Temperador because he never, he rarely made plays like that. Yeah, I, it's it's so hard to find that franchise goalie. Um, it is, but I mean, when you find him, you just know it's like 
It's like a beautiful ice cream sundae with a cherry on top. Unless just, you're the New York Rangers and Hendrick the Rangers. Longquist. You can never win anything. But yeah, no, I I just I remember watching that play and Josh Anderson burying the puck after that. I, yeah. I just it, it was such a, a, a just a deflating way to because it was it was two one, I believe, that the Yeah, it was two one. That were tied up, the game. And that tied the game and then they lost in overtime. Yeah, they lost in overtime. And it was just they had the game, and it, 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 this is something that you don't see from Marc-Andre Fleury. Like Martin Brodeur, as great a goalie yeah. as he is, you just don't expect this. So when yeah. you see it, it, it's, it reminds me of um, Sportsnet. I, not to not to name drop anything, but there's a guy who uh, Steve commentates. Steve Dangle. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do the what, what does the goaltender do? He tends yeah. the goal, or yeah. it's something like that. I know I, I butchered that. But. I mean, that trapezoid really, like... I think that trapezoid has made goalies want to play the puck more. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, because, it's almost like a, it's your moment. It's yeah. your moment to start to kickstart well, the it, offense, get them up the boards. and. and I think what it is is that, like, they're locked into that trapezoid yeah. that, you know, they want... They feel like if the puck goes towards the boards, they can't really do anything, where yeah. back at... Before the lockout, or you know, the full season lockout, before yep. the trapezoid, they were able to just go in the puck or go towards the boards, stop the puck for the you know, that's all they had to do was just go to the boards, stop the puck for you know, and uh, give it back to the power play unit. But the trapezoid, I think, really restricts goalies, and we saw the consequence. And Montreal, you know, we didn't give them much of a chance. No. We both said that they were going to lose in five, and here they are. They've won two games. They they're have. up 2-1 right now in the series. And they are, and their head coach, Ducharme, or, yeah, I believe it's Ducharme, he's out with COVID protocol. And they're, yeah. Actually, as we as we record right now, they are playing their yeah. game right now. It, it's it, midway it's still, through the first. Yeah, zero, it's zero. Zero, zero. But, like, I think the thing with Canadians is that I think everyone everyone over, uh, underestimated them and and well, what I say is that they added a level of toughness, grit. Yeah. That the three remaining teams don't have. No, absolutely not. And I I think you look at it, and I I I remember watching the Montreal Vegas games, and it just seemed like Montreal, even though the the game they lost and even the games they won, they were much more physical. Yeah. They they were. They were on the puck. Yeah. Well, not to mention a career resurgence from Carey Price. Like, oh, yeah. Is... I, I, it's not even like I expected Carey Price to be that bad coming into the playoffs. No. It's... He's definitely kicked it up. He hasn't level. played this well in years. Yeah. That's why they have Jer- uh, Josh Allen. Josh, who are you? Oh, you're talking the backup. Yeah. Jake Allen. My bad. Yes, they, they the took former, Jake Allen from yeah, uh, the, Blues. the St. Louis. I was like, Josh Allen. I was like, they, are you talking about the football player? Yeah, or yeah. The... <laughs> Uh, but the point is, the they brought him as in, in his insurance. They yeah. they didn't know if Carey Price was going to. They be didn't the know future. like this was a year that Carey Price his butt was on the block. Not not to get off of topic, but I'm sure the Blues the way that everything uh, transpired. I, I'm sure they wish that they had. Jake oh, Allen I'm sure. Backup. I'm sure after everything that transpired, I'm sure that uh, Pittsburgh wishes they still have Flurry 
they, didn't, they wish they didn't leave him protected. Yeah, but I or, mean, uh, it, it's very, it's very hard. To, That's one thing. You know, hindsight, twenty twenty. That's one thing I want to talk about uh, a future t- uh, episode, whether it's a full episode or not. I definitely want to do a preview of the Seattle expansion draft. Because yes, yes. As of right now, I haven't. Um, I personally haven't heard much. I don't know. Well, they. Uh, it looks like they're gonna get rich. Uh, rich Tachit. Tachit. I don't know how to. Uh, I think I don't it's Tachit. Yeah, I don't know if it's a softer or you know a hard uh, C. Well, you covered but your bases. It's Tatcha or Tockett, so. The point is, he's most likely going to be the next or the first head coach. He's had three interviews, and apparently, out of this uh, last interview, they do have an agreement. Okay. So they, as of right now, do have most likely have their head coach. All exciting stuff for uh, the Kraken going on. It seems like they're not moving at a pace as fast as Vegas. Cause it, it feels like I don't I gotta look up maybe the dates, but it feels like by now Vegas had uh, a couple of trades in the work, and that's how Vegas really like took advantage of the their expansion draft is that they were able to make trades with teams for first round draft. They had I believe two or three first round draft picks uh, their first year, and they picked up a lot of their top talent like Marshall from trades. Marshall. I said Sorry, right. I know. Right. But I, I think that um, Rich Hockett coming from where he did. Yeah, in Arizona, he's probably going to be in a better situation. He will be, and I, I'm curious to see, was it the team that he had, or is it him as a coach? Like, you know, there's a lot of times where you look at it, it's like, a coach doesn't really do much, whether it's college to professionals, or whether it's I mean, Arizona. one team from another. Arizona was a pretty decent team last year. They were, and I think and that remember they, yeah. they were hit hard from penalties from you know uh, illegal draft. Like they don't have their first round pick this year. Yeah, I mean to be fair, not to not to uh, bash the Coyotes too much. They but. also did lose, although technically he was a rental. They lost their best player in Taylor Hall. You know, oh, which I'm they sure gave Taylor up. Hall was glad to get out of there. Oh yeah, you okay. saw how he played with with. Boston, who uh, he wants to resign with Boston. He does. He, he I, I did see that he wanted to. I, they, I was whole. I remember. Nucci was not going to resign with the with the Devils. Had no. Had they played better, had they made a playoffs, that he would have resigned. He enjoyed, they, and that's the issue. Yeah, had, like like he still like when he came back with Buffalo for the first time, he legitimately said it was the. Some of the best three or four years he's ever had. He really did enjoy his time in New Jersey. I would say that it's hard to take that, put a lot of weight on that, because he came from an Edmonton team that was consistently underperforming with the talent that they had around him. But to I think to say as high... I mean, I'm not saying like he didn't have yeah. good years in Jersey. But I feel like going from a team that was on paper, was a very good team, and then to see how they underperformed. To go to the Devils, and not even that he didn't have expectations coming in, but to have his expectations succeeded when he got there, I think was a big reason why he had such a good tenure in New Jersey up until he was traded. I mean, I feel like, especially like last year, last year it was just a horrible start. Yes. Extremely horrible. It was really And, bad. like, the defense was horrible. Like, I remember... Um, I believe a barnyard door is a good analogy for the, the defense. Like, that's why I say, like, the team this year was... Even though they didn't finish, I, I think, on pace, they were, like, maybe is the same as they did last year. Yes. But they on-ice product 
was a lot better to watch. It felt cleaner watching. Yeah. Because I watched a couple... I didn't watch too much. Oh, um, I was at... It just felt like a cleaner a cleaner game that they played. I was at majority of the home games. You know, those October, December, or October, November home games. Yeah. Uh, the 2019-2020. I legitimately felt like, at times, I was watching an NHL team play like an ECHL team. The Devils had no structure. It felt like their defense was just a big hole. Teams were just walking in. And, like, yeah, when I mean, they would it, get it, out to You have to, to look at how easy it is for a team to enter your zone. And yeah. You have to, you have to figure out if, like, te- if teams are just able to walk in yeah you can't just you have you can't just let them and go they played a lot better when john hines was fired there are things that even he did in nashville that i legitimately do not understand the devils i remember uh their opening game were up four nothing against winnipeg on opening night i remember this game and then he started th- like changing up the lines yeah except for that top line that's the one line he would never touch like added the defensive pairings and the rest of the offensive line. Well, you have to think. He, I, I, I hate to try and defend it because it's almost unfathom, unfathomable to, to find reason in. You want to get production from your second, third, and fourth. But line. the thing is, they're up for nothing. No, I agree. Like I could understand. It's almost like he was doing a dress rehearsal for like, like future games. I understand it if they're losing for nothing. Yeah, at that point, yeah, shift stuff around. You right try to get back at that point, probably. No, or, well, it well, depends. Depends when you're down 4-0 like, in the hole. But the point is, like, they were up 4 nothing. There was no reason to change the lines. And this is, you know, even in, like, later games. I remember there was a game against uh, Tampa Bay. I, it was, like, an even matchup, and then the Devils went up, like, 5-3. And then, obviously, you know, they went to uh, overtime and to eventually to a shootout. And it tied at 7-7. So it was, like, a lot of the decisions that John Hines, he would do things. Like, I remember a lot of the uh, fan base was up in arms, like, he played guys like Kevin Rooney mm. over, you know, legitimate, like Gusev. People will talk about, you know, his time in New Jersey. He got better once You're Hines talking left. about Gusev. Yeah. Nikita Gusev. He, okay. Hines didn't allow him, you know, the chance to actually get into the NHL system. Once he got comfortable with the NHL system, he wasn't the top one, like, they were paying him four and a half million. Yeah. He wasn't playing at that level, but he wasn't playing like he wasn't playing bad enough to get benched. He was like he, you know, he was starting to find his grooving, and you know, it and, almost seems like when a team's going bad, it, it it's almost like well, every every move you make, every decision you make as yeah. a coach is under a microscope, and I get that. And I'm not saying Gusev should have been benched or whatever happened to him, but I do think that if something's not working. You gotta, you gotta yeah. explore possibilities. Well, and it try wasn't to figure it that out. it wasn't that something wasn't working. It was that he. Well, the wasn't, team wasn't working too well. Well, yeah, the team point. wasn't working, and like what made that a bigger problem was that there were all very high expectations here in New Jersey. Like yeah. we were, like obviously we weren't expecting a cup, but we were expecting a playoff. Well, yeah, like, I, I remember part. I was, I was like. Oh, let's go to a playoff game. Being, you know, being yeah. from Jersey, like I, like oh my god, like if we want to talk about playoffs, like I remember, I've been to, I had the chance to go to a playoff game, uh, the twenty eighteen. It's game a different atmosphere. Completely different atmosphere. No, and like I remember uh, when we went to uh, Patrick Elias night. Yes, I remember. And that. like how amazing that crowd was aside from me falling asleep it was just a long yeah. day at work oh, oh you fell asleep during the ceremony i'm like i was woken wow. up by every 
Yeah. It's not that I didn't want to see it. No, no. It was no, a great no. moment in history for NHL. But, players. like, the point is, like, that crowd was, at the time, was, like, the greatest crowd that I've ever seen at a, you know, at a Devils game because it yeah. was a, it was literally You feel the electricity in the... Yeah, in the... you, it was, like, another experience, but that game three, the, you know, the 2018 first round, Tampa, bring it back to what we were talking about, Tampa versus the Devils. Look at you with the and segue. Like, yeah, well... <laughs> It's not more of a segue, more of a, you know, a reach around. Yeah. Well. I guess. Um, <laughs> so the point I was trying to make is that crowd, legitimate. I, I could remember that game point blank, verbatim, because of how amazing that crowd was. Playoff games are a complete, like, that's why baseball, people always talk about how baseball it's boring. It's boring until the playoffs start. Well, yeah, and that's a, a lot of the time. It's I, I. It's my opinion. I, I do like baseball. Oh, I, I like I've been, baseball too. I've been getting a lot more into it in recent years. I'm not saying that I didn't care about it. It was hard for me to watch games. Yeah. But it's very hard to be invested on an almost nightly basis or daily basis when it, I think part of part of the issue that MLB has, and it's not a bad issue. But I think having 162 games, it's very hard for you to I be, like, amped up for every game. I don't think it's the 162. It's the more the presentation of the game. Because if well, like you look every, about... Every game really... I mean, games... You're looking more at series as far as momentum. Games... Games come, games go. I don't think you necessarily well, lose or gain much momentum. I'm not. I'm not looking about it. As, you know, in terms of the teams or the momentum. I'm talking about the presentation style. But like, I'm saying, if you, you want to get invested into like a team, like if you're watching a team, it's hard to really be like, "This is our year." When you have, you know, you're you're in the middle of the first month and you still have like over I mean, 100 games to go. Well, what helps is like if you look at. Japanese base and yep. Korean base. They have supporter sections that are on quit that are at least in my eyes, at least you know in Japan. Oh, it's a different presentation. They I completely have, agree over there. They have supporter sections equivalent to European soccer because they sing and chant during almost the entire game, and like they make the people in the, the crowd have a fun time. Yeah. And that can really and like even the presentation from the graphics and like even like the unwritten rules that we have here, like bat flips, they're a big thing over there. And like over here, like they're hated, like oh that's a sign of disrespect. In Japan and Korea, that's a part of the game. And like it really like elevates the atmosphere for I the hate fans. to say it like this, but you don't want them doing backflips, don't let them score. Yeah, like it, no, no, not backflips, bat flips. Bat flips. Oh, yeah. oh, flipping the bat. Yeah, flipping the bat. I apologize. Don't let them hit a. Don't let them hit a dinger if you don't want them flipping the bat yeah. on them. Yeah, like that. Like, like, like. Oh, I remember. Um, there was a Taiwanese game, many, many years ago, when Manny Ramirez was still trying to play, you know, professional baseball. Yep. And he hit a home run. And the announcer with the line of the century went, the ball is long gone like ex-girlfriend. And I went, did he just say that? Yeah, that was an amazing line. That's still, you know, I think that clip was from like 2014 or 2015 and it still gets played today. You know, it's funny. I think of some of the funniest lines in, in like announcer calls. Yeah. One of the ones that I remember. The best, they, I think, in at least in baseball, are definitely from uh, those Southeast Asia yeah. 
and like they try to uh, speak English. They like say a phrase in English because the phrase is so out there. It but it works and it, it, it makes it fun for you know especially the, like the English audiences. And then um some of the best that I've seen are some of the times are the Australian announcers and uh, English soccer announcers. Like they have some of the best like phrases for like goal scoring or like hard plays actually english announcers in general are and when i say english i mean like um american no 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 oh you're talking um, like actually from england okay oh united kingdom british uh let me say british yeah uh like the british announcers in most of the sports they do have like really really crazy phrases and it's like because, like, American announcers, I've noticed, like, they try to tell a story. It's almost like, the, well, there are times I feel like you're phone, they're phoning it in almost. Like, they're trying to, like, They're just like, and this happened. There, there are some that are like that, and then there are some like, that try to be a friend. Oh, yeah. I don't feel like it enhances the presentation. I mean, like, some of the, oh, my God, like, some of the announcers I love, like, although, um, one of my favorite announcers is a guy named Bob Cole. Uh, he does, uh, CBC. I believe, yeah, the CBC uh, hockey broadcast. He just has a way with words. Oh, no, speaking about a way with words and hockey broadcasters, I have to give it up to the uh, the longtime devil broadcaster who became the national uh, American uh, hockey broadcaster, Mike Emmerich. His use of the English language to describe hockey, it was, it was beautiful. It was an art. But, yeah, so, like, announcers can have a very big, I think, announcers and even, like, the in-game theatrics can yeah. d- do a, a lot to keep a fan's interest one example is you look at the vegas golden knights their intro to like hockey games are insane it's like something they they try to make their game presentation like something you would see on the mgm grand or you know one of those las vegas theater shows and i think they hit the nail on the head when it as much as they could you know in hockey they have a very entertaining pregame intro. I love it, except for when they play the Devils, because you know, obviously, they got to run down the Devils, and you know, they're the, the away team coming in today. Blah blah blah. But to me, announcers can be a really big part of keeping fan interest high. Now, speaking about fans, right? I got a question for you. So I don't know. I forgot who did the research, but so there's six sports or six major sports in the United States, right? Yep. You have NFL, NBA. NHL, MLB, and then the other two they had were NASCAR and professional wrestling. Okay. Who do you think had the highest IQ? And who do you think had the lowest players? IQ? Players? No, no, fans. Oh, fans? Um, they did 1,004. It was 1,004 people they tested. That's... Who do you think hard. had the highest IQ? Who do you think had the lowest IQ? Okay, if I had to go highest IQ, I feel like I want to say football. And as far as lowest IQ... Not to, not to, <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm going to make one fan base very mad at me for guessing that they have the lowest IQ. Well, we weren't the ones who did this. I know, but me guessing it, I feel like I'm going to get in some hot water with corporate daddy. But <laughs> lowest, <laughs> lowest, I hate to say it, NASCAR. <laughs> so you were right on one of the two. Okay, I'm going to say the football is right. NASCAR. NASCAR had the lowest IQ of the leagues ranked in the study. I'm sorry, NASCAR fans. I don't mean to NASCAR, say it. I, I just took a wild guess on it. Now, looking at this, right? NASCAR had the lowest IQ of 95.2. Okay. 
uh, that's average, right? I mean, you kind of look for triple-digit IQs for like a, a relatively smart person. The highest IQ, right? Yeah. Was a one twelve point six. Decent, yeah. That's pretty good. Guess who it is? The wrestling, wrestling fan. Yeah. You know, I you know, I, I figured with you it was gonna be wrestling. It so, was gonna be that. I, I mean I found it out through a wrestling site. Yeah. Well so, of course they're gonna <laughs> I want I want some some I want some citations on this. I wanna know where these sources came from. So it was uh, Making me say that race car fans are done. <laughs> <laughs> Had a bet published an article published the results of a study regarding the most intelligent sports fans. The site noted that it administered a remote IQ test to 1,006 United States sports fans to determine the most and least intelligent sports fans in the United States. So number one was wrestling, with 112.6. Second place was hockey fans, with a 112.3. The number three was NBA with a 110.7. NFL was fourth with a 105.9. MLB was fifth with a 101.3. And last place was NASCAR with a 95.2. That's a pretty big drop-off. I mean, it's not like monumentally big drop-off, but... They also did the, you know, uh, fan bases. Yeah. So they only listed the top five fan bases. Like... Like fan bases in just all sports? Uh, uh, teams, I should say. So okay. teams and potentially wrestlers. Who do you think at the top? Team? Top team or wrestler? Yankees. No. Oh, thank God. No, I, I wish. I, I don't have to hear you thumping on the drum yeah, yeah. about them. I'll give you two more chances. Sports in general? like, like uh, who, could be? who could it be? I'm thinking like very storied friends. So it's either teams... Wrestlers or drivers? Oh, it's one of the three? Yeah, one of those three. Who do you think would have the highest IQ of those fan bases? I mean, if it came off... No, no, no. What I'm saying is, these fans, right? They listed that they're a fan of such and such leagues. And then they they also listed of... uh, Yeah, under the IQ test. But they also listed what teams they like, what wrestlers they may like, what, you know, drivers they may like. Who do you think... Of those wrestlers, drivers, or teams, would have the number one. This is a very, very loaded and very like. Who thinks about this? Do you want? Just tell me. Okay. I'm not gonna. Number eat it. one. Have a chance. Roman Reigns. Ramen noodles. Yeah, ramen noodles. Ramen noodles is number one. One twenty-six point four. You know, you number love two those noodles. Number two is Daniel Bryan with a one twenty-two point two. Number three is your first sports team, Boston Bruins, with a 120.3. Number four was the Detroit Red Wings. Are you saying that the Boston Bruins are my team? Or is that what you're trying no, to say? No. I would never wish somebody to be a fan of a Boston sports team. Well, then why did you say first sports team? Wait a minute. Because they're the first sports team oh, on you're the top about- five. Oh, okay, gotcha. Well, well, the way you said it, it sounded like Louise, you were like, yeah. oh, I'm a Boston So, fan. Detroit... You know, you're a Rangers fan. I don't want to hear it. You're a Blackhawks fan. Let's not do this. Let's not Let's not sling dirt like this. Go on. That's number four. <laughs> number four is the Detroit Red Wings at 118.6. How and then you... number five is the Houston Texans at 117.8. So, that I mean, that was a nice <laughs> little thing that uh I, I saw that i was like you know what this might be a nice little talk for the podcast yeah, it makes me a little stupid make me feel a little stupid but yeah you know, speaking about a... wrestling 
Uh, we are filming right now, ongoing with uh, Hell in a Cell, Heck in, Ke- Heck in a Sec, Heck in a Sec, Rage in a Cage. I can't say that last one. The, the Rock said the Thriller in Manila. Are we gonna just we're just gonna go well, with that's that? Boxing. I know. You don't remember that promo with the Rock? He I did, do. That I was do. actually the old uh, Izod Center. Yeah, I yeah. miss that place. Uh, I miss that place, but I don't because it was a hell to get to and a hell to get out of. You know, Hell in a Cell takes years off of wrestlers' bodies. So, oh, it does. When you're thinking about getting in a cage with a wrestler, wait, hold on, don't. we got a sponsor. Oh, no. I thought you were <laughs> no, a sponsor. I was going to say, <laughs> hey, fill me in on the sponsor. Oh yeah, no, 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 we we don't have sponsors yet. <laughs> it's so, like this is my plug. When you're thinking of getting in a cage with a wrestler, don't. Maybe don't. Yeah, maybe don't. Let's actually talk about the other playoffs that are going on right now. Okay, there are probably multiple playoffs uh, if you include the Euros. But let's talk about the NBA, right? The National Basketball Association. The team that I used to be a really big fan of growing up. I don't get why you're not a fan anymore. It's like they went to another state or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they did. Huh. What state did they go to? New Slork. New Sl- I don't think that's a state I've ever heard of. I, 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 what was their was, capital? That was a poor insult. Like, my yeah. poor my comedy. Yeah, so this team moved to Brooklyn. Oh, oh! You mean the Nets? Yeah, the Nets. Oh, I forgot about them. They, you know, I forgot about crazy. them because of how they, how they choked in Game they, Seven. They were given a golden opportunity by oh, their franchise's God. leading scorer in Brook Lopez, and he he gave them an opportunity that Kevin Durant he he hit he hit that shot. Next thing you know, they just. So they squander that opportunity. Well, he he thought he hit a three, and that was the issue. He he stepped a foot inside the three point yeah. line. It counted as two, and that was. They the, still went to overtime. They did, and that, like that, like to me, like that's when uh, fans of the was the Saints and the Rams a number of years ago. Yeah. Right, and they were like, "Oh, the Saints got blown the game. The Saints blew, or the Saints got robbed. The Saints got robbed." There was were were there bad calls against the Saints? Yes, but there was also bad calls against the Rams. But not only that, they also went to overtime that the Saints didn't do anything with. Well, and I think that a lot of the times you look at these games, these games where you have these defining moments, and you almost look at them and you're like, I get it, this was a big moment. And I I hate saying it like this, because as a Steelers fan, as a fan of most of the teams I'm a fan of, to go into basketball, I think of the 2012 um, Oklahoma City Thunder against the Miami Heat, and I still, to this day, get so mad when I think about that game when LeBron fouled Kevin Durant and he should have gotten the shots at the free throw line, and that would have won the game. Yeah. It would have been a completely different series. Yeah. But to get back to this There's a series, lot of things with the, the New Jersey Nets, yeah. the real Nets, that I could talk about. But, hell, I mean, I, I could even go back. We were just talking about hockey. I could go back. The one moment that plays in my mind forever is the 2012 Stanley Cup Final, Game 1, and it was Mark Fain. He missed, or he hit the post on a wide-open shot that the Devils would have won that game and it would have been a completely different series. Yeah. Because the Devils, except for game six, which, you know, it was a Kings blowout, the Devils and the Kings were pretty much even most of that entire series. Yeah. So that one goal could have changed the it's entire It's always series. that one game. It, it seems like it always comes down to, like, if one game went a little differently. And yeah. They, and, but so to get back to this. To basketball, When yeah. you look at the Bucks. The Bucks had no reason to be 
in a game seven situation with the Brooklyn Nets, considering the firepower they had. However, when you look at what the Nets were dealing with injury-wise, yeah. it almost seems like everyone, and I, I hate this idea of the dream team, this team that is put together specifically to win a championship. It happens a lot more frequently in basketball nowadays. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it almost devalues the game because you're almost like, Oh, if I want to have a chance to win a championship, I'm just going to go to the team Get that has the super. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it all... that's what the Lakers had uh, last year. It's they, frustrating. It felt like yeah. so many of these guys, like Dwight Howard, and then uh, I think Rajon Rondo. Yeah. A lot of these guys signed on with the Lakers like midseason to try to win a championship. Yeah, I really and respect like, the players that stay with their teams even yeah. when they're not doing good. Oh, like because... that's why I respect Damian Lillard, even though. Now his time oh. finally might be up in Portland. Like he stayed with Portland for a while. Yeah. Who, mind you, should I mean, be. I mean, he didn't have a bad team around. He him. should be a net yeah. because of uh, that horrible trade for Kevin Garnett. Like they talked about. Like, are you talking you, about the Garnett trade back? That in Garnett trade. Okay. If you take a look at all, like all the draft picks that the Nets gave up, and if you drafted a team with uh, those, like if you had, if you fielded a team with those players. You'd have like Draymond Green. You'd have Dam- uh, Damian Lillard. You'd have a lot of guys. I mean, you'd have a lot of magic it would to be, play with. It yeah. would be a very, very good team. However, I think that what what the Nets wanted to do, they were they were in a win they season. were in a win now mentality. And it was a win traded. now for that one season. Absolutely, and, like, that was a horrible deal. Yeah, because I mean, they thought they were getting the Durant and and Paul Pierce yeah. and and Rajon Rondo. Garnett, you mean? Uh, Garnett, I've and it was. Uh, they it was thought Ray they Allen. were getting them like they thought they were turning the clock back, and they were yeah. they were gonna play like they did in the early two thousands. No, it was Garnett stayed like he played out his contract, and like he was like he loved he he I would say was okay with the role he was given in Brooklyn. Yeah, like he he enjoyed his time, and Brooklyn enjoyed him. Paul Pierce is a whole nother story. Like he didn't want to be traded from Boston. He wanted to finish out his career in Boston, yeah. which I sometimes feel like he just get packaged like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, and it's, it's it's the same thing with Zajac. Yeah, Travis Zajac and the, the Kyle Palmer uh, trade. Oh, he was doubles. definitely he was he not was just he was along for the ride. Yeah, he, yeah. he was just dra- he was he capital. was just in to sweeten the deal. Yeah, but, but um, I I look at I I just I was watching this series from the very beginning. Yeah. And I was looking, I was like, the Bucks are not built to play against the Brooklyn Nets. They just no, weren't bu- they weren't built that way. They were built around Giannis being Giannis. Yeah. And Gian- oh, what you know what Giannis likes to do? He likes to get in the paint, he likes to do the dirty work, and he likes to get the easy points close to the paint. Yeah. Once you I, I it's like it's insane that the Nets do anything else other than neutralize him. Yes, he had other help. I mean, I'm looking at the stats from the Game 7. You had Chris Middleton step up, which was, uh, he's a big role player. I think he's a former Nat as well. Yeah, yeah, he's a big player that stepped up for the yeah. Bucks in in this series. P.J. Tucker, I mean, someone who, he's a very good defensive player. Brooke Lopez. Yeah. Like I said, the leading scorer for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. New Jersey Nets, whatever you want to call them. He, he put in 19 points, 8 rebounds. One assist. And then, like, you look at Bobby Brown, Joe Harris, Blake Griffin. Yeah. Those are your big men for the Brooklyn Nets. Like, oh, no, uh, excuse me. Uh, Bobby Brown's a shooting guard. I was going to say, I was like, wait a minute. Uh, Joe Harris and Blake Griffin. Those are your big men. 
going up against uh Blake Lopez and who's the other one? Yeah, and Giannis. Like Giannis. You mean Blake Griffin? Did I no. say it? You said Blake Lopez. Uh, no, no. When I was talking about for Milwaukee, I meant uh. Oh no! Blake but when Lopez. you said Nets, I thought you, I think you said Blake. You said no, Blake. I said Blake Griffin. We'll look back at that. Yeah, we'll look back. You'll know. So. Like, for the Nets, your big men are Joe Harris and Blake Griffin. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee, you have Giannis, the MVP at power forward. He's going to power that paint. And he, yeah. like you said... He, well, that's his game. He doesn't game. He doesn't really do much other than that. He, he does his game extremely well, but when you force him outside, when you start making him chuck up threes and, and hope yeah. that he hits it... There it's not no, going to be a great game for you. There were no power. I mean, he went two for six yeah. from the three. Like, the Nets need big men. Yeah. Like A good shooting game as far as like a three-point. Uh, who's that they lost uh, midseason to a Who? retirement? Oh, uh, the, the Bucks. No, the Nets. The Nets lost a big man that they signed, but then he ended up retiring. I don't remember exactly. Oh, my God. I'm going to look it up. Okay. But, yeah, so, like, they lost... A pretty big big man that, you know, had retired on them. Yeah, I would say that, but, like, you look at this roster and you look at how the Bucks want to play and you look at how the Nets want to play, the Nets were made... LaMarcus Aldridge. Oh, it's Aldridge. Yeah, Aldridge. He, yeah, that was a big, that was a hurt. I mean, he was not the player he was a couple years ago, but he was definitely not... He yeah. was, like, a big man that was really excelling with the Nets. He yeah. was helping the Nets become a better team. Yeah. And losing him, re- that hurt him. I, I that hurt the yeah. Nets. Then, you know, you had Kyrie go down. Well, yeah, you, you definitely... hard and play a point guard. So the Nets really had uh, injury problems. So Oh, yeah, they, they're big, they're, they're big three alone played about 14 games together. Together, season. yeah. And that's insane you when you think about have it. That. Um, you can't have that. you got to look at the... Just the way that the yeah. the how the training staff and the coach, I, how they're managing, I I mean, it's very hard to because you want to sit your guys, you want to get them healthy, but in a series, in a seven game series, you don't have a lot of time yeah. to really nur- you don't have time to nurture these wounds. You want them back on the floor. Yeah, and I mean Kyrie. I think I believe he's in a boot right now. He he yeah, had no chance. James Harden basically played with one good hamstring. Yeah. What are you expecting James Harden that's to do? That's not like on, yeah, on that's floor? not how they should be. You put some I love James Harden. He's a good player. You put someone else on who's healthier. Yeah. I get it. It's basically a winner go home situation. Situation. So like in that sense, I understand them playing Harden. But realistically, that's would, not going to help you. Yeah, in the would, long like run. you could have put someone else in. I, yeah. I don't know. I I just feel like they they didn't get a lot of help off the bench. So one thing I've never understood about basketball is that they'll play like they'll start the next series. Yeah. In the middle of so like in the third. Oh round, yeah, they keep it moving. Yeah. They keep it moving, and yeah. like I never understood that because like what happens if that one conference was far ahead in front of the other conference, you know? Well, they're, they, they're stuck a huge, at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah, like that's why I like at least how hockey does it. Like they wait for all the rounds to be over. I mean, it's just the way they structured it, but I, I do understand why that could be a little of an issue. But like, because we got we we might talk about this. The Suns they won their game today. Yeah, they they Clippers. beat they beat the Clippers, and I I think that if we're gonna get into that series, that that's gonna be a very interesting. Series um, to start back. I, it's good to see the Clippers actually be you know the better team in LA for once. Um, and <sighs> the then, Clipper, I I can't get a beat on them. The Clippers, I feel like 
they're one one game you watch them and you're like they're living up to they're the, the expectations. Islanders of the NBA. But they also, you know, Kawhi hasn't been playing. Kawhi is out. Yeah. Um, Chris Paul's also out for this game for the for the series. I, I mean, not for the series. For this first game, and yeah. it's 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 you're expecting with Kawhi out, Paul George is going to step up. Yeah, they're the Islanders of the NBA. Yeah, but it I, it's hard to it's hard to necessarily say. I I don't necessarily agree with that with that that, um, that comparison, but I do understand why you feel that way because the Clippers are. It, it's kind of like. What are you expecting from the Clippers? They had a very tough series against Dallas, yeah. and I I would argue not to discredit what, what the Clippers have. Yeah, the Clippers played the Mavericks in the first round, so they played in a very tight series, a seven game series against the Dallas Mavericks in the first round. That shows you how much I know about basketball. Exactly. Oh yeah, that's right, because of Luca. Yep, Luca yeah, Doncic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Porzingis, all of them. But it just see that I feel like. They got very lucky in that series to have advanced. Yeah. The Utah Jazz did not play as well as they no, showed against they the Clippers. And considering what the Jazz were able to do this year, yeah. the Jazz were a very they were the number one seed. They were a very tough team. It was it was almost like you didn't expect the Utah the Jazz to really have any any sort of opposition until they yeah. got to the conference finals. How do you enjoy the play playing tournament? Do you think that's a good idea that should, they should stick with? I, I don't agree necessarily. I think that you, it's hard to really... For me, you have a whole season to decide what the seeding will be. Why are you going to add now a play-in tournament for this? I think what it is is they're trying to capture the success of the NCAA tournament play-in. That's yeah, what but, I think it but is. You, but here's the thing. While you can copy that success, you will not emulate it. And, and no. why are you going to change what you've been doing all these years? I mean... Playoff structures have changed, yes. I'm, I'm not saying the NBA playoffs have always been like this. No, but they're at their best. Yeah, and I think that a lot of the times you look at the series and the way that the NBA playoffs are built, mm-hmm. a lot of the times you look at matchups, especially in the first round, yeah. and you're just like, why am I even going to care about this series? It's going to be a blowout. It's going to be... They're going yeah, yeah, yeah. to get one game, and then that's going to be it. I see that a lot. Um, the East specifically, the East... The first round, the losing team won three games out of the four series. Yeah, there was one sweep, and then the fir- and then the other three games only won one game. It the first round of the NBA playoffs, and I think this is also another statistic to look at. Out of the East, there was only one upset. It was the Atlanta against New York Knicks series, and yeah. that game that was a I mean it that was, was a four or five. five so it's yeah. not that much of an upset. Absolutely. And then you look at the West. You have Utah who won, Clippers who won, Denver who won, and out of the first round, one upset. Now, if you want to even call it an upset, the the action really doesn't get started until the second no. round. That's yeah. when you start getting That's some upsets. The NBA, it really is like like what I was trying to say last episode was the the first round in the NBA. It really is like that first round is a warm. That feels more like a play in round than yeah. than than, than an actual because, like, play like, off round. It feels like you know they're allowing because it's not like hockey where hockey a lot of no matchup is a well hockey football bat or baseball no first round matchup is an easy task. Kind of feels like if you're a very good team in basketball, your first round opponent is not real like they're just in it. You're like you're just warming up. Oh yeah, no, 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 I agree. The NBA playoffs, I feel like if 
you're going to look at a playoffs that it's almost like you look at it and you're like, I kind of have, you almost feel like you have, even as a, as a, as a casual fan, you feel like you have a beat on exactly what's going to happen in the first round. I'm not going to say the second and third round are like that, or even the finals, that first round, you almost, if you're a betting man, you want to go to, you want to go, you want to put your money down on all of the higher seeds. And chances are you'll do pretty well. At the, you'll do pretty well. Speaking about playoffs, let's go into our third playoff discussion. But it's not an actual playoff. It is not. It's a proposal. The proposal of the expansion of the college football playoff to 12 teams. Now, Dumb. here's the thing. <laughs> I personally... My knee-jerk reaction. Personally, to me, I believe it should be eight teams. Yes. Eight teams would be perfect. What's, what are you doing with 12 teams? Uh. I think it's just, you know... Because how they, it's not the 12 highest ranked. No. So the proposal. Yeah, I need to hear this proposal because I don't, I haven't heard It about calls this. for the bracket to include the six highest ranked conference champions. Six and the six conference. remaining highest ranked teams as determined by the CFP selection committee. But why not do eight? You have. I feel like it should If you be. look at conferences, you have the SEC, you have the Big Ten, you have the Big yeah. 12, you have the Pac-12. You have the ACC, you have the MAC, you have the WAC, you have, you know. It's you the easily, top five and the bottom five. But I feel like you could do the eight conference champions and then the four highest seeds after that. However, I also feel like. Well, you you're, what you're saying is you do the ten conference championships and two because there's ten conferences. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying like I, I just like the eight. I like the eight. I like the sixteen. I like the eight because it's a. It's why are you even? gonna Why are you gonna give a team a buy? I I yeah. because with the twelve, you're obviously getting a buy. They don't say you know which games are gonna be which round of the playoffs. Most likely, the New Year's Day six is still gonna be the semifinal. Top four are probably gonna get the buy. Yeah, the top four. You're gonna have the bottom eight teams play the winners versus the top four and then yeah you'll probably chances are that's how it's gonna go what you have is uh the top four champions Mm -hmm. conference champions you have the buy but are you going to go based on the power rankings for those champions to determine the so what they're gonna do i think is the top four like the top 12 seeds because they don't know they even say like who's gonna get a buy or anything they just talked about who's gonna qualify okay and it's the top six conference champions plus uh, the top six next best team. And there's actually a stat. Under this proposal, the Pac-12 would not have been... Wow. They wouldn't have qualified from a conference champion. Or know, the high six. Or, or the, the high, high six. six. So they would have been shut up by both. So because of that... I feel like you have to include the Pac. I understand they're a little weaker than they've been in recent years. Because but. of that, right? The conference or the conference commissioner of the Pac-12. I don't know. Now he made a statement, so I don't know if this part of the, because he wasn't uh, the Pac-12 wasn't a part of the proposal. Yeah. It was uh, the Big Twelve. The guy kind of went with the other big conferences, I assume. Because it was the ten conference championships, or the conference commissioners that made this proposal, or uh, you know that are part of the committee. Yeah. And the the ones that made this proposal, I think, are the uh, Big Twelve. Were one of the names uh, that I remember seeing, and the a- ACC. Okay. That put this proposal in. Now. Oh, the ACC. You mean Clemson plus everyone? Yeah. Pac-12 actually made his their commissioner actually made a statement that said the proposal should have like a clause that says the Power Five conference champions should get an automatic berth. So that would be 
Big yeah. Ten champion, the SEC champion, the ACC champion, the uh, Big 12 champion, and the Pac-12 champion would all get an automatic berth. I agree. I disagree. I th- I like, if we're going to do 12 teams, I like this proposal. Because, just because of the name value of the conference, like, if a team is better, like, if you get a situation like UCF, right? Or uh, we go back to 2007. Before, like, back when it was still the BCS. Okay. And you have a team like uh, Oklahoma State, or no, not 2007, 2011, the year when we had LSU versus Alabama in the national title game. That don't remind me. And Oklahoma State, you know, was number three, who people thought should have been over there instead of the um, two SEC teams. Yeah. I think, like, and then with the recent years with the college football playoff, and then you have teams like TC or yeah yeah TCU, who had a Big Twelve was shut out. Yeah. And then uh, you got a school like UCF, who was it? How many years ago that they went undefeated and they claimed you know self proclaimed national champion? I believe that right. was when Bortles was playing as. Yeah, the I think it was like I, I think it was around that time. It was like 2016, 2017. Oh, that was that was after Bortles. Like the point is. Like, yeah, I remember UCF with that whole thing. The point is, like, UCF, if they win a conference, like, to me, well, I mean, if you have the top six, right, the Pac-12, if they have a legitimately good team, football-wise, they should be able to make it. But the recent years, they haven't had, like, as they, like, as the proposals would have said, Pac-12 would have been shut out. That means they didn't have a good enough team to make it. I disagree, and this is where I disagree with. If you're looking at the teams that deserve to be in the playoffs, when you think of divisions, when you think of the teams in those divisions, the Pac-12, all the people in the Pac-12 play each other. They have a much harder schedule than, say, a team that's a low that that may be a higher ranking that had a less treacherous road. To I would that disagree ranking. with that. I mean, okay. yeah, you have your teams like Washington State, Oregon, uh, UCLA, USC, but then there are teams like what. Oh, no, Washington's a good team, but then, you you know, like, I feel like, personally... Let me let me give you an I, I, I could understand what you're saying. Like, playing against the Pac-12 is different. You're playing, playing harder harder competition than, like, someone from... Or, like, even... You were saying the proposal was the... Top six conference champions yeah. plus the next Pac-6. But then there was the other one where the Pac wouldn't be involved. That was... The Pac-12 commissioner put out a statement saying... Well, yeah, yeah. Under that proposal, the, proposal the that actual the proposal that's been yeah. proposed, the Pac-12 would have been shut out. But why? Because they didn't have a team. They didn't have uh, a top six conference champion, and then they didn't have the next best six. But aren't one of them by proxy one of the top six conference champions? No. The, or are you the, saying that the they Pac- would rank like... the conference champions? Oh, Whoever. that's dumb. I'm not saying they would rank them separate. That's dumb. I'm sorry. But I just, be... I got a real, like, come to, like, 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 it's almost like clarity just rained down on me. The Pac-12, if you're going to have, let's say, Oregon one, they're playing USC, they're playing all these good teams w- where they may not be on the same level as the SEC, the Big Ten. You can argue the Big 12, but I... Oh, no, I rank, I rank Pac-12 out of the... Like, I ranked them the worst out of the, the top five, I guess you would say. Worse than the ACC? Worse than the ACC, yes. <sighs> I can't agree with that. Um, 
As far as ranking, I hate to say this, SEC's number one. Oh, of they, course SEC's just... number one. And, of course, Big uh, Big Ten is number two. That's like because Then I... once you get past that, you're not playing defense anymore. Your goal in the other well, three the conferences SEC's... are to outscore your opponent. The SEC is a very uh, offensive uh, But they have good defense. They have good defense. No, no, but I'm saying they as far have... as... Like, you need a shootout to win a game. Yeah. You're looking pack. You're looking Big 12. You can argue ACC. I feel like ACC is the weakest of those five, personally. I, it's I a one-team It's a one team race with that. Like, if you listed them 1 through 12, or is it 12 ACC? Teams? Yeah. I believe there are 10. How? No, no, no. They would need 12 because they have a conference championship game. The Big the Big 12 is the only one that gets that up that that rule rate waived. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. They should have 12. Eight, nine, ten. ACC should have 12. ACC football things. Here we go. Yeah. Let's do it this way. Because they should have the Atlantic and the Coastal, which each have six teams. They both have. There's 14 teams here. Oh, there's 14. Yep. So One, that's two, more. Three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven in the Atlantic, seven in the Coastal. Oh wait, no, yeah, that puts them on par. I think with the Big Ten and the Big Twelve or the SEC. Well, the Big Ten has twelve teams and the Big Twelve has ten teams, so it's really the Big Ten. Yeah, is... they they it's weird. They didn't want to change the names. Well, obviously the Big Ten didn't want to change it. No, the Big Ten has fourteen, I think. Because Rutgers, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, Indiana. They do have twelve. Wait a minute, who am I thinking of that has ten? We're definitely big twelve has ten. This big. No, Big Twelve has ten. That's right because they have a. Uh, they were. Yeah, given... I said that. Yeah, yeah. Big twelve is no. ten, and Big Ten is twelve. I thought Big Ten had fourteen. No, they have twelve. Okay, I, I that's why I was. I was like, wait a minute. But I mean, the point is, like the SEC, right? I feel like they're a little more top heavy because the weaker teams in the SEC. Even the weak teams in the SEC are good teams. They're like they're good teams, but I feel like. Like, they're better than it. Like, if you compare it to the Big Ten, right? Yeah. They're, like, the weakest team, I guess you would say, is uh, Vanderbilt. Or SEC. Yeah. For football. They're, they're one of the weaker SEC. teams, yeah. Or maybe Kentucky. Like, Kentucky. I would still say Vandy. Vandy, I think, is a weak. But, yeah, for your, is, for your argument. Yeah, the point is, like, I would put, like, okay, so let's say if we're going to go with Vandy as the weakest yep. SEC team. Maybe they're on a level with Indiana. Like, obviously, they're Indiana's better. not the weakest. Uh, Illinois is oh, Illinois there. Got better. Purdue. Rutgers got better. Rutgers actually finished ahead of... There uh, we go. <laughs> Rutgers actually finished ahead of, I think, Maryland. I think, Illinois, I think Illinois, if I had to argue, is probably one of the weaker teams. On par with the weakest team in the Big Ten. But, I mean, the point is, I feel like the SEC is a little more top-heavy because the SEC has schools like Alabama. Well, they're more top-heavy, but well, there are, there, they're also more balanced. I hate to say I it. wouldn't say they're more balanced than the... Well, okay, maybe the Big Ten... Even the bad teams are not bad in the well, SEC. Well, the, the Big Ten... Okay, I feel like... What I'm trying to say is, I feel like the SEC, because they have teams like Alabama and LSU... I mean, they're makes, overvalued. Yeah, they're overvalued. Yeah. No, I agree. Because I think that's what makes the Big Ten look worse, is that you have teams like Alabama and Auburn. Like, I feel like... I mean, you could see it in the prospects. Yeah. And then you, I feel like you see it in voting. Like I feel like they overvalue the SEC a little bit more. Oh, absolutely, and that's why that's where like teams like Oregon. Not saying Oregon's gonna win the pack, yeah. but that's where a team like Oregon, who may win the pack, no, would, I, honestly, get, would get bounced out of the playoffs. And I would they see, have, There's no reason they should. I would see honestly one of the Arizona teams is usually like the best team out of the Pac-12. 
recent years. I mean, Herbert being in, in yeah. Oregon, they were usually the best. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm not saying Oregon's bad. I'm just saying I think the last couple of years have been dominated by one of the Arizona teams. Disagree. If That's I, how I remember it. Yeah, you're, you're, I think you're remembering it wrong, but... Yeah, because this is something I want to look at, too. Uh, I mean, that's why I like... I like... Oregon, Oregon, Washington three years ago, USC, Washington, Stanford, Oregon, Stanford, Stanford, Oregon, 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 USC, Arizona what State in 07 was the last time one of the Arizona teams at least... I really, I'm not saying they're not they're not good, but they they haven't been winning. That, I remember Washington weird, yeah. in 2018. They versed Ohio State in the. Uh, I know that's one. Of, they may be a decent team. They they're not like they're not like winning the pack. That's weird. I don't know why. I just remember I had a thing in my mind that I thought Arizona teams were winning the Pac-12. Must be another sport. Point I'm trying to make is that I do like you'll have a situation like Boise State or uh, even UCF. UCF beat like their bowl game. They beat oh I forgot who they beat. The one year the year they went thirteen and zero. They beat a legitimately good team. Uh, I'm gonna look this up. UCF thirteen and zero. The issue with a lot of these teams when you see the great records that they have when they're not in a conference like one of, like an SEC, yeah. a Big Ten, they're not versing great competition. It's very easy to go undefeated, close I mean, to undefeated. I'm not saying that I their f- whole undefeated record is a mirage, but I definitely think that you you have to discredit it. I mean, it's kind of like don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the AAC. The American Athletic, it's not as good as it when it was the Big East. Yeah, the act is not like, good anymore. The Big East, you could legitimately make a case that the Big East, like there was a power six. The Big East was years ago, yes. Yeah, yeah, years ago. I'm talking about like when they had Rutgers and they had Louisville, they had uh West Virginia, <laughs> Syracuse was a good team at yeah. uh, times. Even even before that, like Big East used to like in the late nineties, late nineties, early two thousands. Big East was yeah. the conference football uh, league because and then they Alabama had came on. they yeah. had Boston College, yeah. they had Miami, they had Miami, the, the top team. Oh, oh two, oh one, oh two. Yeah, that team, those teams. Even before that, like the ninety nine, the U. Yeah, the U. Yeah. It, like that, like the Biggies had legitimate teams. Like the AAC now is like the AAC is like I always feel like. It's not good enough to be a power five team. No. But it's not bad enough to be grouped into the lower five team. Well, here's the thing with college football. When you're talking about playoffs, when you're talking about rank, it seems like you look at it, and obviously it's it's done by voting, it's done by you know presentation. They look at if you're going to lose, how bad of a loss was it? And if you lose, yeah, they and you're do. ranked, how far and down are you going to look, look at it? They also look at who you lose to, like, yeah, the- you look at so the the thirteen and zero UCF team I was talking about, right? Yeah, that was twenty seventeen. So they played. They had a game against Georgia Tech that yeah. got canceled, but they also did end up playing Maryland, yeah. and they beat Maryland. And then you had teams like South Florida and Memphis, who at that time were ranked. They were ranked twenty five and like sixteen. And then do you know who they beat? They beat in the Peach Bowl. Number seven Auburn. So it wasn't like they beat like they beat a top SEC team yeah. in their final game, which is why like that those bowl games really show like who um like some of these teams like even though they play against a weaker conference schedule, they're still legitimately good teams. Yeah, but for every team that is good and doesn't have this hard schedule but plays up to that talent, there's a team that is 
in a conference that is not that good and plays down and and shouldn't even be there. I mean, like that's why I feel like I feel like I like this proposal a lot because not only are they picking the uh, the top six conference champions, but they're also picking the next best six teams. I feel so like you stick with eight. I honestly think I, that don't get me the wrong, more I and more like you add... Here's the thing, and I hate to say this because I do want it to be eight. The more you add team, the more people are going to be like, why not just add more? And I want it to be eight, but I also I know in the back perfect. of my head, then people are going to be like, why not 16? Why not 32? Why not 64? Like, and then me, it's going to be a huge tournament. To me, like college football, there's only real eight national championship contending teams. So that's why I believe eight would be perfect. You have the top four conference champions, which would probably, now obviously, almost every year, it'd probably be the Big Ten, SEC, obviously, they'd be in there. And then you have, uh, you have, most likely the AA or ACC, which most likely will be Clemson. I mean, obviously they have teams like Virginia Tech, Florida State, but Clemson is just like. But why? Tw- like I, I, just, I, I get it. It probably fits a lot better with the narrative of conference championships plus other good teams. Yeah, um, because there are like like this UCF team, and there are good teams in those lower conferences that miss out. Yeah. Because they're not. Well, in they're undervaluing their competition yeah. at that point. Well, they're, I think feel like they're undervaluing. As much as they overrate SEC teams, they underrate some of these lower teams. Yeah, and it's it's just a matter of, at the end of the day, the top teams aren't necessarily the best teams. It's the teams that have had the schedule and have won the games that the committee looks at and is like, I mean, like, really, you could, say that, are, yeah. you could say that for any of their sports. No, I agree. Because, like, even like. A lot of it's subjective, but there's also. There's subjectivity and objectivity in ranking a team. I mean, that's the whole thing with a playoff system. I agree. Is that you're not. Like, the best team in the regular season may not win the championship. Hell, you get teams like the college basketball tournament a number of years ago, UBMC, or whatever the. The, I remember. The, Maryland, the University of Maryland, Baltimore. One of the best Cinderella stories I remember a couple, I think it was two, three years ago, University of Chicago Loyola or Loyola Chicago. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a big one. No, the, uh, the I would say the the Maryland, the Baltimore. Oh, no, I'm not saying, like, which is better. I'm just yeah, saying, like, I, I, say I remember those kind of yeah. teams where they go in and you always, UCLA went to, I believe it was remember, the Elite um, Eight this past year. George Mason. <laughs> Well, UCLA is expected to be there, no matter how good of a, or. I don't know. They they were ranked pretty bad, but then they doesn't they matter had how a couple ranked. good upsets. Doesn't there. matter how much they were ranked like that. Like, but that then was, why have the rank? It, sorry, not to no, go scorched earth on this. If you don't feel like it matters, then I feel. Well, like no, why no, no, no. I'm ranked. talking about to their fan base. Okay. It doesn't matter what they're ranked, how good of a team they are. They, those are one of those franchise. Well, I would say franchise, but even though if it's a college, yeah, it's one of those organizations that expects championship it's like the yankees like people talk about oh well the yankees. i mean ucla i wouldn't necessarily say is like a team that expects to win the ncaa tournament i mean i i feel like because of the history i mean you think duke you think well, yeah, north, duke, carolina, north carolina you think gonzaga Rutgers. <laughs> let's not let's not do that <laughs> I mean, like, hopefully they're just. Rec- I'm just hoping their recruiting game is. I mean, you're just, you're just hoping that your team does better than the year before. Yeah. 
That's all you could ask I was for, just really. happy to see him in, in college, in yeah. professional sports, no matter what. I was just happy to see him in the tournament because this is the first time since I've been alive. And this is the first Rutgers time since I've been following them that Michigan State did not missed. make them. But yeah. they lost UCLA. Which well, wait, hold on. They were in the playoff game, so technically they were in. They were in the play-in round. The play-in round. Technically, that that's count. the tournament. That's the tournament. I don't consider it. Unless you were one of 64 teams, if you I don't look consider at it. The court, the middle of the court said NCAA tournament. All right, and another successful podcast in the books. Successful in air quotes. Yes. Jay Bear and the Nooch coming to you from Yarmouth, America. Thank you all for listening. So follow us on uh, social media. Follow us on JB Squad Pod. That's on Twitter, Facebook, and coming soon, Instagram, Reddit, and OnlyFans. Always. Always OnlyFans. And we're planning on releasing the next episode on we're playing on doing Fridays from here on out. Fridays on Spotify. Follow us. That's for every episode that goes live. Make sure you follow us on Spotify. There's a uh, little bell notification that lets you know that when we upload a uh, podcast, click that. Do whatever you gotta do to follow us and when we upload podcasts, you'll be aware. And with that, remember the starters are out, when the backups are out, the JV squad is here to pick you up. And with that, signing off.